Gaza is thousands of miles away from Michigan, but the continued violence there has had direct implications for people right here. Michigan is home to some of the largest Arab and Muslim communities in the U.S., and home to a sizable Jewish community as well. Maybe you're one of the people who's feeling the weight of this moment personally. Maybe it's your friend or a coworker. Over the next two days, we want to give some space for these experiences. Today, we'll hear from two Palestinian Americans, and tomorrow we'll be talking with an Israeli peace activist. This is Stateside. I'm April Baer. Brianna Rice is a reporter in Michigan Radio's newsroom. She works out of Detroit. She recently came across two Michiganders who agreed to share their stories. The first is a Metro Detroit woman, the daughter of Palestinian immigrants, who says that she always felt safe wearing a hijab in her community. Until now, as officials warn that anti-Muslim and anti-Semitic threats are on the rise. Brianna will take it away from here. Fatin grew up in southeast Michigan, surrounded by other Arabs and Muslims who, like her, wear hijabs. Until recently, she felt really safe in her community in Metro Detroit. Now she's afraid to share her last name, especially after a man in a Detroit suburb was arrested for allegedly encouraging people to, quote, hunt Palestinians. She told her daughter about why she's afraid. Because um, I had to explain to her, like, why people, you know, could potentially be targeting us. I'm like, because they're going to see the hijab and they're going to just act. And unfortunately, that's just the kind of world we live in. She says her daughter brought up the difference between being out with her dad, Bubba, and being out with her mom. And then she's like, yeah, you're right, because when I'm with Bubba, they're not going to know that we're Muslim because he doesn't wear a hijab. I'm like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, so when you're with me, we have to be extra careful. Fatin says she started wearing a hijab at 11 years old with a friend, and they had a party to celebrate. It was a turning point in her life, a step into womanhood to begin covering her body, and she did it a year before 9-11. She says she never really experienced pushback or more than a few comments from her middle school classmates about her choice to wear the hijab. So she wasn't ever planning on having this talk about safety with her daughter. Growing up in Metro Detroit, home to some of the largest Muslim populations in the country, Fatin thought she'd have to explain to her daughter what it meant to be Palestinian, not that people might want to hurt her because of her religion or what she wears. She's never really had to differentiate between any type of people or any type of friends. And now that she has to, now that she's aware of what's going on in the world, like it, I felt like some of her innocence was taken away. And, and that breaks my heart. Like I didn't, I didn't want to have to do that, but I got to know that you'll be vigilant, that you'll you know, that you'll run if I run, you know, <laughs> saying like you have to be on it. So it was it was a difficult discussion to have, but um, it was necessary. It's one of the many burdens Fatin has been carrying since Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th. Now, United Nations experts say time is running out to prevent genocide in Gaza. The group says Israel has refused, quote, to halt plans to decimate the besieged Gaza Strip. Those U.N. experts say children are being forced to drink seawater in the absence of clean water. There are reports of children undergoing surgery without anesthetics and people with disabilities and older people being displaced and living in tents because airstrikes have turned their houses to rubble. Fatten has family there, she says. Grandmothers in their 80s, aunts, uncles, cousins. She's never been into watching the news. She says she almost never watched it at all. But these days, she can't stop reading and watching Al Jazeera. 
it's horrifying because I'm like glued to it when it is on and I'm just waiting to hear certain names because every now and then I'll announce like whenever an airstrike hits an entire building and annihilates an entire generation, entire bloodline, they typically announce the family name if they can. And so I'm just like on edge, just hoping to God I don't hear our family name. Um, but even then I've heard, you know, family friends names and, th and that's even, you know, that's just as scary as like to know that it's that close. More than 10,000 Palestinians have died in the month since Israel began its counterattack, according to the Palestinian Ministry of Health. As far as Fatin knows, no one in her family has died. But she and her family have had limited contact due to Israel sometimes cutting off phone and internet access in Gaza. Like I'm telling you, being a parent like really changes you, makes you see the world through a different kind of lens. And it's just like, I cannot imagine... Like, I mean, I hug my daughter so tight every night, and I know how lucky I am to be able to do that. Like, there are, like, thousands of kids that are being killed. Like, I mean, we're talking, like, little kids or not, you know? And so it's just, those are definitely the ones that stick with me. Like, the images are, like, in my head, and, you know, it makes me feel really privileged, but at the same time, like, just hopeless. Like, how can I help? Like, what else can I do for these people? Like, I feel so bad that they have to go through this. It's been hard for Fatin to sleep, which means it's hard to get up. She has nightmares, and her daughter has had them too. She says she's felt pain in her body, anxiety, fear. She wants to do something, but what could she do? She's attended rallies, posted on social media. Talk to me, a reporter. There are times where I feel like, what, you know, does any of this even matter? Like, my regular daily life. Like, there are lives on the line. There are people, like, dying by the second, and I'm just sitting here typing away. So it's it's definitely really hard to keep our head up. But then, then I remind myself, I'm like, the people in Gaza right now are keeping their heads up. There's no reason I shouldn't either. Like many Arab families with roots in Palestine, Fatin's heard of a Palestine she's never seen. She's heard stories about the olive trees, a source of income, but also a symbol of Palestinian resistance because the trees are drought-resistant and grow under poor conditions. She says her family is not originally from Gaza. They're from Hebron in the West Bank, another part of Palestine separated from Gaza by Israel. Fatin says her family was displaced by the settlement of Israel and moved to Gaza and Egypt around 1948. Fatin hasn't been back to Palestine in almost 20 years. She says on her last trip there in 2004, the border got closed, and she and her family were basically trapped in Gaza. We basically had to be, like, smuggled out. And we're American citizens, by the way. Nobody came to get us, <laughs> which is, like, also the more, like, you know, like, so infuriating because it's just, like, you're clear as day saying, even though I'm an American citizen, that my life means less. Like, nobody comes to rescue the people from Gaza, even if they're American citizens. Michigan's governor and community leaders have been calling for the U.S. government to do more to help Americans who are stuck in Gaza in the current conflict. Israel says it's defending itself against terrorism by striking Hamas deep within the densely populated Gaza Strip, home to more than two million people. Just leave them alone. Let them live their lives. Like, it's just so crazy, like, that they didn't expect anything to happen, that they didn't expect the, anyone to fight back after being under siege for so long. It's like you can't trap people in, you know, in a prison for that long for no reason and then expect them to just sit there and take it. Fatin would love to see a free Palestine and land returned to her family and the other Palestinians who were displaced 75 years ago. But for now, she wants a ceasefire and aid and food and water rushed into Gaza immediately. 
Fatin told Brianna that as far as she knows, her family in Gaza is safe. That's not true for other Michiganders. When we come back, we'll talk to someone who's facing unimaginable loss because of Israeli violence against Palestinians. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Support for Michigan Public's Stateside Podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. The Palestinian Ministry of Health says more than 10,000 people have been killed in Gaza since Israel's military response began a month ago. Among them, members of Imad Shahada's family. Dr. Shahada is a pulmonologist and lives in West Bloomfield. So far, he says 20 of his cousins have been killed in Gaza, some of them in a strike that destroyed a building next door to where his sister was. We want to note that this interview contains graphic descriptions of wartime violence. Please take care when listening. Okay, here's Brianna again in conversation with Imad Shahada. Imad, can you tell me a little bit about your sister and what she's like? Are you worried for her? She's very sweet. I mean, I haven't, you know, seen her now more like in um, eight years. She has two lovely young daughters, you know, 10 and 8 years old. Uh, she's very funny. She's, you know, um, she's very quiet. You know, um, we love her, you know, so. And uh, we'll be very devastated if anything happens to her or her family. This recent strike that killed members of your extended family, do you know what happened? You know, as of now, there are two strikes uh, that uh, bombardment is very close to my sister's house. One that actually, you know, uh, unfortunately led to the death of 12 of our relatives. There was another one just a couple of days ago that was also very close to her house. We heard about it from, you know, from the news. Um, we called immediately, but there was no response for about like five hours before she responded back to our text. So we were very, very nervous and, you know, um, fearful for her at that point. But luckily, it was away from, you know, away from her house enough that they, they were not affected. They actually found, like, human remains in, in, in their house. I mean, the, the window on the first floor, I think, was open, and, you know, some of the remains of other relatives flew from the house that's bombarded into their house. There are a lot of kids in their house, yeah. yeah there is, you know, there were already, I think, five kids before the other relatives moved in. You know, my, you know, my sister has, you know, her two daughters, and their um, her sister-in-law has like three daughters too. Um, and then there's a lot of kids who came in with the other relatives. So it's just an imaginable situation. I mean, those are things that you read about in like in horror books, but this is like the daily life of the Gazans at, at this point. Then this is just, you know, uh, has to stop. I'm sorry, Imad. That's so awful um, that your family is going through that. I guess I'm just wondering, you know, where, where does your sister, where does the family go from here? What, what, what happens now? I mean, the problem is, you know, where, where can she go? I mean, uh, not, there is no place safe in Gaza. 
um, you know, they basically the uh, the airstrikes and the missiles and the bombs are breaching everywhere. I mean, she actually does not live in the evacuation area in the north that they demanded. If she lives, be, you know, south of that, but still, I mean, her city is not is not safe. It seems like in the news daily now that she it's been hit on a daily basis. Uh, she, you know. Um, Going to anywhere uh, else in Gaza is not going to be safe for her, you know. Uh, but people don't understand that a lot of the people in Gaza, all what they have now is their homes. If they leave that and it gets, you know, destroyed, they will have nothing left. Uh, and a lot of people just prefer to die in their homes with their roofs on top of them rather than go somewhere else and live in a tent. Um, the Palestinian people, you know, some of them left their homes in 1948, expecting that they're going to go back shortly. And it's been 75 years, and nobody has gone back yet. Um, so a lot of them, they will not make that mistake again. I want to ask you about some of that history. This land is disputed, and the modern conflict over it has lasted for decades. Does this cycle of violence feel different to you? Uh, this is at a scale that has never been before. Um, you know, one from the level of destruction, uh, one from the uh, you know the fact that there is really no calls for any ceasefire. Now we are you know more than three weeks, getting close to four weeks of this conflict. Uh, the level of you know uh, basically of uh, the people, the civilians who were killed during this this time, it's like really outnumbers any time of the of the previous wars that happened. Um, and then this time it seemed like they were specifically targeting people. I mean, um, you know, previously, you know, you will have a school, you know, head here and there, you know, and they claim it was like a, a mistake or there was something in it. But this time it seemed like they, they are really targeting every hospital, every school, every mosque or, or church in these areas. They're specifically targeting bakeries so people do not have access to food. They, they're starving people by not allowing food, by not allowing fuel to help keep the hospitals running. Uh, by preventing any, you know, significant humanitarian aid to go to help, you know, deal with the wounded and, you know, all these people who were injured during this period of time. Uh, no water. I mean, that's really the most crushing you know, need at this time, that there is really no drinking water in most places. I mean, my sister told me that the running water that they have in their house seems to be contaminated with sewage because there's now like a very bad smell and, you know, and taste to it. They had to go to another city, you know, really to go to the hospital there and fill up gallons of water and walk all the way back to their house to be able to maintain their daily need of drinking water. So this is why it seems different, that they, they are, you know, um, I understand all the thing about, you know, self-defense and everybody's right to do that, but this is beyond it. Yeah. How are you getting this information about what's going on in Gaza? Is it from watching the news or hearing from your sister and family? And From both. I mean, uh, um, you know, we had lost connection with my sister for a couple of days on Friday and Saturday when there was the blackout, but things now are coming back. I mean, those, you know, daily uh, issues that every Palestinian is dealing with in Gaza, she, you know, that's confirmed by my sister. She She's telling me that for the last three plus weeks, they're only eating potatoes and eggs because that's the only thing that they can put their hands on. There is no bread outside so they have to basically get the flour from you know the stores whatever they have and try to bake at home and god knows how long they're going to be able to do that because they're not going to have fuel you know shortly um and you can just you know see it in, in the news everywhere i mean they have no food they, you know they're, they're starving they're hungry they don't have water it's it's just if you're if you survive the bombardment and the, f the airstrikes and the missiles and everything you will die from something else you will die from now from disease from lack of water from lack of food and this is this is not acceptable at any level. This is if this is not considered a war crime, I don't know what is considered a war crime. 
When your sister loses Wi-Fi and end connection, how is she able to find out about what's going on in Gaza? Her husband has to really uh, go outside every day for their daily needs. So as I said, they have to go to multiple cities and you know, just go out every day, try to get some food, some water. They get the news from, you know, from other places. They see you know, firsthand what's happening. What your family is going through, that sounds unimaginable. What do you want to see happen now? In Palestine, the most important thing is a ceasefire. Uh, this has been going on too long. Um, I don't know how many people have to die before people are satisfied that they have seen enough Palestinian blood that they feel that they got enough revenge. Um, at this point, um, uh, we're I think close to ten thousand people now. Um, you know, thousands of children have died. Uh, thousands of women have died. Um, and the problem is that not nobody even talking about a ceasefire. Well, what are you looking for? How many, how much misery and killing and death that you're looking for before you're satisfied with what's happening? Um, humanitarian aid is, is fine, but I mean, what's the point of you know feeding people and giving them water if you're planning to slaughter them the next day? The most important thing really is to see this fire to happen as soon as possible and immediately. With everything going on in Gaza, does it feel different being a Palestinian in Michigan compared to those last decades that you've been here? I consider myself a Michigander <laughs> now after 20, 20 plus years. Uh, it has everything that I can ask for, you know, uh, you know, four seasons, you know, uh, great community, great support, great people in general, you know, not only from our community, but from everybody here. I think we can, I can say that I, f- I feel betrayed. Um, I felt that with the current administration we have, that we will have more appreciation of uh, the other, you know, uh, point of view uh, for that there is really real diversity that's diversity is not a slogan that we have that we really will care about the other people that we will listen to what they have to say uh, but um, you know I didn't really expect at any point that the American administration will stand in full support of the Palestinian people I, I don't think that's happened in my life but I expected at least there are going to be some um, humanity, some decency, that there are, you know, that when they see what's happening to the civilians in Gaza, that they say, okay, enough is enough. The destruction is happening this time without any attempt to stop it. There, you know, there is a very definite possibility that there's not going to be any Gaza Strip and, you know, by this time next year. That was Michigan Radio's Brianna Rice talking with Dr. Imad Shahada of West Bloomfield. If you or your family is directly affected by the war between Israel and Hamas, we want to hear from you, too. You can email callouts at michiganradio.org. That's the Stateside Podcast for today. I'm April Baer. If you're looking for more listens, full Stateside episodes can be found at michiganradio.org. Today's podcast was produced by Rachel Ishikawa. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Kabansag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our intern is Olivia Meradian, and our executive producer is Laura Weber-Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions and from Audio Network. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Rebecca Williams. I'm Lester Graham. We've been working on a big project about Great Lakes birds called the Bird Connection. It will look at ducks and trumpeter swans. Egrets and herons. And piping plovers. Yes! 
We'll discuss what we've discovered at a Michigan Public Issues and Ale event. Including how some problems for birds are problems for people. It's at Arbor Brewing Company in Ypsilanti the evening of May 21st at 7. You can register at michiganpublic.org.